It's really good to see you guys. So you would think, and I'm not going to complain at all because not many people get to spend 30 days at the beach, but it is, it is extremely hard to spend 30 days away from your home. Um, it's extremely hard to spend 30 days away from people that you love. And I know a lot of times we don't get to talk every single week and we don't, we don't get to be actively engaged with each other all the time, but 30 days is a long time to be away from you guys. And I can tell you, there was a lot of clarity. There was a, a lot of wrestling with the Lord in these past 30 days with me and my wife and my family. But there's one reason why we came back to Norman, and that's because of you and this church, because we love you and because we know that God has something big in store for this church in this city. Um, and I'm so humbled and honored to, to just be a part of that. I'm, I'm humbled and honored that, that God would allow me to do life with you. Um, it's just, it's awe-inspiring. You inspire me to want to be a better person. You inspire me to want to grow closer to God. You inspire me to want to just be a better friend, a better pastor, a better brother. And I love you guys. And <laughs> thank you. Um, so I'm really excited to be back. Um, I'm going to try not to dance around the stage today. I'm going to try not to do all those things because I, I am excited uh, the Lord is grafting and pruning, and the pain of being grafted and pruned is only temporary, but you cannot grow if you are not grafted. You cannot grow closer to God. You cannot have the Holy Spirit manifest itself in your calling inside of you if the dead things that are in you are not cut off. Now, there's a danger in pruning and grafting. If you graft not the dead branches off of a tree, but the live branches off the tree, you have the risk of killing that tree. How do I know? Because I've killed a lot of trees in my house. If it wasn't for Sarah Wallace, we wouldn't have any live plants in our house. She helps us. And Tanya Avery, why is this yellow? That's not a good sign. Okay, you need to prune those. Don't prune the, the really bright green things. Those things are good. Prune the yellow. Okay, we got this. We got this. But last year, my family went on a mini sabbatical. We stayed in the same exact complex that we stayed this time. It's a tiny little two-bedroom townhouse, slanted a little bit. You get up and you're like, you feel like you're on a cruise. But it is from here to that door is the ocean. And you don't, you don't need marble, you don't need fancy, you don't need anything because you sleep and from here to there you hear the waves crashing on the shore. And when you wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning every single day on your sabbatical, it's because God woke you up in time to see the sunrise that you can walk 10 feet out on your balcony. And it's a rickety balcony and I kept thinking I'm going to read in Fox News about, about this person who died falling off this very balcony at some point in time. But you're standing there and right there is the sunrise. And every day, right around the time that I normally go to bed at 4 p.m. in the afternoon, that's a joke, even it's 9, okay? I can make it till 9. Right there is the sunset. And in between, there's, there's dolphins and there's manatees and there's fish and the kids are out there playing. And last year, in that very place, God wrecked my life. 
he took me through Acts chapter 2, and he showed me four key elements for a thriving church in a community. I asked not to be a pastor. He laughed at me. He said, you think you were a pastor? And he was right. I hadn't been. I hadn't been a pastor to anybody. I had built what I had seen built by so many other people. I followed a playbook. I followed a model. And yet, the spiritual vitality of our church at that point in time was near death. And yet, God spoke to me in that very place last year and said, why aren't you doing this? It's not hard. It's four things. Why are you overcomplicating it? Why are you following the model of a DVD that was written in 1995 by somebody who never started a church, was never a pastor? Why are you following these models? Why are you trying to be something that you're not? Why can't you just submit? That's because the pain of being vulnerable in front of the Lord and realizing that I was the problem hadn't become greater than me ignoring the fact that I wasn't the problem. And yet, this last year, we've attempted to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We've put an emphasis on fellowship. We put an emphasis on breaking bread and brought table fellowship back. And an emphasis on corporate prayers and worship together. And this past year, I've seen lives changed, including my own. including my own. Not the same man that I was last year. Not the same man that I was 45 days ago. And I can promise you over the next six months, I will not be the same man. And that's good, but it's painful. Because as a pastor, a lot of times... I'm dealing with Blake, and Blake's like, hey, man, I'm struggling with this. And it's like, hey, no problem. I can help you with that. Let's go to the scripture. Let's pray together. Let me put my hand on you. Let's, let's be brothers together. But it's really, really hard when you have to reach inside yourself, and you have to grab and wrestle with the thing that is your issue, but you don't want to deal with the things that are your issue because you, it's just easier to play out here with everybody else's. But whether... You're a pastor, or you're a business owner, or you're retired. Whatever your profession is, whatever you do in the marketplace, you were predestined with a gift from God. Your gift is not my gift. My gift is not your gift. But how many of us are looking for the gift that was birthed inside us from the moment we were in our mother's womb to walk in that calling how many of us are willing to rip apart our chest and do things that they don't want to do? God wants to alter your life. Whatever bondage you are in, whatever sin you have wrestled with, whatever anger or thoughts or depression or anxiety or lack of ability to speak to the Lord, he wants to alter you. He wants to remove it and deliver you from those things. But how many of us really like change? 
How many of us wake up every single morning and we say, what can I make a list before I get out of bed today that I can tackle and change in my life? I'm a go-getter. I will climb a mountain. But I don't wake up saying, hey, God, can you tell me every bad area of my life, every bad spending I do, every bad thought I have, every bad, you know what, Lord, I should probably run more. Uh, I don't wake up asking to make a list of things I need to change in my life. No, normally we wake up and we're reactionary to the problems and the situations around us. If you're a mom and you have young kids, you don't get to decide what happens. They wake you up when they want to wake you up and they're ready to go. A lot of people in this, in this church, they homeschool their children. You wake up and you immediately go from a mother or a father into the teacher. Dads will get up and they'll go, to, they'll go to work. Moms will get up and they'll go to work. And you're immediately in the rat race of the noise of an anti-Christ culture. I want to tell you something, guys. You don't need to know who the anti-Christ is. You need to know who the Christ is, and you need to know the calling by which God has given you in your life so that you can modify the culture that you are in. You can alter, you can change, you can be different. And that doesn't mean how long your zitziot are. It does not mean what your haircut is like. It doesn't mean the translation of the Bible you use. It means how are you using the gifts by which God predestined in your life to alter the world for Christ? And once you find that out, that's step one. Then the pain comes because you have to change you have to utterly get to a point where you're literally on your face and you're saying, hey, Nady Adonai, here I am. What do you want to do with me? Because you cannot do it on your own. There are too many people who are operating out of their own power. God did not give miracles just so that we would find validity of the apostles. God gave miracles so that we could alter the existence of where we are today. And too many of us don't want to alter our own existence, so we don't see miracles, we don't see changes. But the last year, God has made changes in this congregation. And he did it, it wasn't me. He brought people to confession, and they're changing their lives. He brought people who were in debt out of debt. He is releasing people from bondage that maybe they didn't even know they were in. They didn't have zero hope. But it wasn't easy. It isn't easy to open your chest and expose yourself. Some of us can't even do it to our own spouses, let alone ourselves. We're in shame. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, it's a mystery. Listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not sleep but we will all be changed. We're all going to be changed at some point in time. When Messiah comes back, when the kingdom of God comes at hand, you will be changed. You will have either been working with your, your, your relationship with God and changing by the power of the Holy Spirit, or he's going to change you. To be a follower of Christ, you have taken an oath to be changed. You cannot call yourself a follower of Christ if you're not going to take the oath to mold your life like Christ. 
You are your own God then. He is not. I don't care what your lips say. Your lips should profess and your feet should follow after. But it's not easy. We have to open up our hearts and allow God to change us. Because if we don't, he's going to change you when he comes back. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation. That's a new buzzword right now, the last couple of years in the Messianic. New creation, new creation, new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. It's a lot of power. We're in Christ, we're a new creation. Yeah. But the old doesn't just fall off. If you've had that experience in your life, and if you haven't, I want want to talk to you. Maybe it's not today, but I want to talk to you. If you haven't had that experience in your life, that sloppy, wet, snotty moment that God reached inside of you and just wrecked you, and you said, Jesus, can you come into my heart? Can you be my salvation? Can you fix my mess? If you haven't had that experience with God, it's hard to want to change because theology and philosophy and differing opinions and all these things, well, I don't need to do this, but, I, but when you can think back to that moment when the power of God just broke you to your core, how can you think on that moment and say, I'm good, I'm good. I don't need to change. I'm already a new creation. He came into my heart. No, you gave him that little studio apartment on the top of your heart, but you kept all the other bedrooms for yourself. You kept your other loves, and you would have your affairs with them in your own heart, and then go talk to Jesus when you needed something. That's not true transformation. It's playing games. And it's painful, I know. Probably the worst sinner in this room. There's no way if I told you all the things I had done in my life that you wouldn't look at me different. But if God could change my heart, he can change yours. If God could change my life, he can change yours. The new creation can come. You can walk in that power. For me, I was saved when I was 13. I became a a messianic, Sabbath-keeping, whatever believer you want. A Jew and a Christian in a blender. I became that in 2007. And again, through all those calendars and thoughts and how we walked or practiced and through everything that's been there and the good, the bad, the different, the ugly, the, the joyous times, all of it. God transformed my life last year. And whether I like it or not, he's transforming my life right now. In my mind, I thought, well, hey, I believe in Jesus. He's my salvation. And I believe he is. And I believe he was. And then he revealed the beauty of the Constitution in the Old Testament. And he revealed the beauty of the feasts and the Sabbaths to me. And I started walking in them. 
And then all of a sudden, he revealed the beauty and the power of the Holy Spirit as well inside me. And I'm nowhere near done on whatever this journey is that God's doing in my life. I hope I'm never done. I hope until the day I take my last breath, I am journeying closer to God every day. And I hope that for each and every one of you. But God is in the midst of this congregation and the vision and and the journey of this congregation. Because in my mind, I I fell into what is... a common thought process in Christianity. Well, the hardest time of being a believer is right at the beginning. Because you know you have to transform yourself. You know you've asked Jesus into your heart. You know that you're supposed to be different. So the very first part of your relationship with God should be the hardest part. Because it doesn't have answers. And you have to search and you have to transform yourself. I've heard that from numerous people in different denominations, myself included. It's like, hey, the longer I become a believer in Jesus, the easier it's going to get. This is so counter to the actual walk of Christ. Some of the most despairing moments of Jesus were his last moments on the earth. Crying out to God, can you take the cup? Can you take the cup from me? I don't want to be squeezed. I don't want to be broken. I don't want to, Father. If it would be your will, if it would be your will, God, would you just take the cup? How many of you have been in a situation in your life where you're like, God, if you would just take that away from me, if you would just take that away from me, if you would just take the financial burden away from me, if you would just take the sexual sin away from me, if you would just take the gluttonous eyes for food away from me, if you would just take my anger and my rage and my pride and my jealousy and everything, God, please take it from me. How many of you been in a situation like that in your life where it's like just utter despair? God, take it from me. I have been too, troll. I'm there right now. He's going to take it from you. He's going to take it from you. Because his word says he's going to take it from you. But in the midst of taking it from you, he's going to teach you the lesson that he has for you. Because the conflict you're in, the wrestle you're in, it's not about anybody else. It's about what God's trying to teach you. He's trying to grow you and mold you and get you to walk in whatever calling you have. The greatest moment in the calling of your life might be the last moments of your life. And unfortunately, in our little corner of Christianity, a lot of times we're like, well, the only way we can really minister to somebody is if we get to be a a teacher. That's like the the end all to be all right now. And it's changing. There's a lot of pastors, hearts, there's some evangelists that are being raised up, things I haven't seen in my entire walk in this corner of Christianity. But it's, let's, I got to be a teacher, and I got to do DVDs, and I got to put books out, and I got to do all these things. And if I do that, I'm doing the will of God because I'm ministering to people. Trolling, when you're working on somebody's car, you have no idea if you're ministering to them or not. Because you may never actually see the good that you did for somebody ended up putting the the car back on the road for a doctor who ended up going and delivering a baby who that baby found a cure for cancer and changed the world 
God's gift for you and his calling for you is not relegated just from a pulpit or from a position of spiritual leadership. You have a calling. And it's painful to find it, but if we want to see this city changed, and I believe this city needs to be changed, and I believe that all the Jesus lovers in this city, they would find blessings in the Sabbath and the feast and the Hebraic fingerprint of the life of Jesus. And every single one of you has been given some sort of calling, some sort of gift. But you cannot walk in that calling until you eradicate the sin from your life. You cannot serve two masters. Don't be like me and not listen to other people's counsel and constantly hit your head against the wall and have to do things the hard way. Say, man, it would be nice if I were to listen to that person's counsel. Take it from me. Eradicate it now. The pain now it's going to be so much less than the pain in the future. Matthew 26, 38 through 42. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Anybody ever had those moments in your life where you could say, my, my soul is deeply grieved almost to the point of death? I'm not talking suicidal thoughts. I'm just talking like, God, it just would be easier if I just didn't have to be here. I've been there. God, can you just remain here and keep watch with me? He's like, what are you talking about? I've been here the entire time. It's you who haven't looked for me. And then he went a little beyond them, and he fell on his face and prayed. And Jesus said, my father... If it is possible, let the cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, you know, Peter was pretty zealous. Peter, Peter was a pretty zealous dude. But he said to Peter, so you men couldn't keep watching me for an hour? Couldn't have my back for an hour? Keep watching and praying that you don't fall into temptation because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus, I have to believe Jesus knows what's getting ready to happen. But I believe the word of God is still alive and manifesting itself today. And so I just have to ask you, is your flesh weak? Because the spirit is willing to transform your life. But if your flesh is weak and you refuse to look for it, the Spirit is not going to come and force you. He went away again, and the second time he prayed, saying, My Father, if this cup cannot pass away unless I drink from it, your will be done. Every one of you right now has a cup in front of you. It might be job-related, it might be your marriage. It might be financial. It might be a, a, a legit spiritual battle you're, you're, you're wrestling with the Lord on. Every one of you has a cup that the Lord has put in front of you. And if it's the Lord's will for you to drink that cup, then the Lord will go before you. He will protect you. 
He will provide for you and you will be changed. Because you can only do one of three things with the talents you've been given to you. You can bury it and never use it. You can use it for your own glory. Or you can use it in the way it was intended, as a servant of the Most High God. And you can serve Him with it. Honestly, most of the people that I know who are not walking in their calling right now, you're not trying to build your own kingdom. It's apparent when somebody's trying to build their own kingdom. It's apparent when evil's lurking. Everybody sees it who wants to see it. And sometimes we want to be Phineas and we want to go with our sword. I prefer, I prefer to let the Lord go fight the battle. I prefer to stomp around blowing a shofar and see something supernatural like an entire wall come falling down. What are the walls you built in your life? They need to come down. Because I believe most of the people that I meet who aren't walking in their calling, they're burying their talent because they're afraid. They're afraid because they don't know how should I use this? How will this be seen? Especially in our little corner of the world sometimes, an evangelist with the gift of evangelism is unheard of. If, if the Holy Spirit allows you to speak in tongues or you have the gift of prophecy, that's unheard of. We've completely changed prophecy into eschatology, which it is not. It's 100% not. That's a fortune teller. That's witchcraft. Prophecy is the Lord gives you something that you're supposed to tell the people that should cause them to turn away from whatever they're doing and turn back to God. As a believer, you're not to dabble in witchcraft. You're not to build ministries off witchcraft. You're building your own kingdom. It's not about building your own kingdom because your kingdom will fall. It's about God and his kingdom. Anguish, despair, these are all emotions that some of us have experienced. But these are the, the emotions that the Bible tells us that Jesus felt in the last moments of his life. Before he was turned over and betrayed by one of his closest, Jesus was human, but he was God. Brent did a teaching at Camp Yeshua. One of the greatest illustrations I've seen. And I'll admit, what I do is what I do. Brent walks up to the front of the room, and he's got a Carhartt-looking glove, just a tan Carhartt-looking glove on his hand. Brent's a weird dude, man. Like, he just does some weird things sometimes I don't get, I, I just don't track with. And so he's, he's standing there, and he's holding the microphone with this glove. And I'm in the back of the room, and I'm talking with Matthew, and I'm talking with Cam. I'm like... Like dry skin? Is it like vaseline it? What is he doing? Is he wearing a glove? No, surely he's not wearing a glove. 
And he goes on in the message at the end. He leaves me in suspense for a long time. I didn't hear anything else he had to say for that period of time. I was so focused on why he's wearing a glove. But at the end, he talks about, and he uses this beautiful illustration by calling someone out of the audience. And he talks about Yeshua taking on the tabernacle of flesh. And it's just like, mind blown. Something as simple and as weird as a tan glove to cause you to focus and come back in on what is important in the reality of life. God is alive. Give you another Brent story. I've, I've had 30 days to store him up. We were out in the water with my kids. It's a little God wink. We're out in the water with the kids. And none of the waves, like the waves just completely like died down. And that, that really stunk for them because they had tubes and they'd go out on the waves and then they would laugh about getting like blown over in the water and then they would fake drown and nor and Elias being the babies, they would actually like legit almost drown and then they'd cry and they'd come out of the thing and everything. But there's no waves and so they're all just like super bummed. Even the ones that almost died are super bummed. And there's a running joke. Every time Brent Avery asks for the Lord to bring some sort of weather pattern, it happens. <laughs> Normally, he says it as he's walking out the door from the event, and then he leaves other people to pick up the pieces. It's the pain of change. So Jude goes to Hannah. Hannah, pray for the mighty rushing waves. <laughs> Hannah prayed for the mighty rushing waves. And they're laughing, they're joking. God's got a sense of humor, guys. The waves came back. God will talk to you. God will move in your life. God will transform you. It's not God that's the issue. It's us that's the issue. Guys, as a pastor of this church, I can't change your life. Only God can. I can't force you to draw closer to the Lord. Only the Holy Spirit can. I cannot offer you salvation. Only the Lord can. Now I can come for you, and I can fight battles with you, and I can be on my knees with you, and I can be alongside of you, but the change that happens in our life and, and the God winks in the moments where he speaks to you to let you know that the despair is only temporary, that he's coming... That he's coming, he's never late, and he's never early, he's always on time. He's always on time. And sometimes that sucks for us, because sometimes we like to be 15 minutes early, but God is always on time. Because he's perfection. We're not. We're being molded into his image. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I just want to reestablish the baseline here. Because the next two weeks we're going to be talking about change and the pain of change. And this week I'm just laying the groundwork for exactly what I believe that the Lord is going to do inside this church next year. And I'm going to be meeting with the deacons and with the Averys. And we'll be having conversations and we're going to be talking about exactly what the process is to do that this year. We're going to simplify church. 
We're not going to just do things for the sake of doing things. Hey, you know what would be great? Let's have a bagel party. How does that help us disciple people and grow closer to God? If we can answer that, we'll do it. If we're just doing it to do it, we're not playing church no more, people. Not here, we're not. We're going to transform our hearts towards the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit is going to empower us to walk in the commandments. We're going to operate in the constitution of the Lord, but we're going to start walking in the Holy Spirit. And we're going to have to figure out how to do that. And the only way we're going to figure out to do that is if we remove all the noise and we sit and we put ourselves at his feet. Because this city right now is ripe and ready for the power of God to transform their lives. And we can't go transform anybody else's life until we remove the things from our life that are not allowing the Holy Spirit to operate through us. I'm not going to teach you how to follow some pamphlet. This isn't the Baptist convention. These three steps and you get somebody saved. It's not another It's It's not. We're not writing books and pamphlets and, hey, oh no, Tommy said that he doesn't believe there's a God. Uh, go, to, go to 3B7. No. We're here to experience God. And I hope then that God sends you out so that you can teach other people what God does in your heart. It's not about a megachurch. This isn't about a megachurch. This is about us effectively ushering in the kingdom of God here. Guess what? The devil's having a heyday with his kingdom here. So if the, if the darkness is going to fight, let's fight back. But we have to remove things of the devil that might be in our hearts so the Holy Spirit can come in and empower that. Otherwise, we're just operating out of our own strength. And sooner or later, we're going to fail. And sooner or later, we're going to be on our face. And sooner or later, we're going to have to deal with the pain of change. Or we'll just stay the same. Because let's be honest, sometimes it's just easier to stay the same. It's easier to punch the time clock. I've been serving two masters for too long. It ain't happening no more. It ain't happening. I'm going after Jesus and I'm going as hard as I can. And I'm praying to God he will empower me and the ability to keep going and keep doing it because I know I'm not going to be able to do it. I don't run. I might run for bagels. I might run for donuts. But I'm not running. If you've seen me run, it is the most awkward thing in the world. You watch NBA games, and those guys are the same height, if not uh, taller than me, and they look graceful when they run. I'm like Shaquille O'Neal with two broken knees. It's not graceful. I don't run. So the power of God is going to have to work through me, just like the power of God is going to have to work through you guys in your life. Otherwise, I'm going to get to the door, and I'm going to need a CPAP machine because I won't be able to breathe. I know you're thinking, why CPAP? Why not oxygen? It's because it goes... <laughs> it's not just going to be gasping for air. It's going to be legit that. Ecclesiastes 3.1, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. God knows why we're here right now. It's a predestined time with a calling. And it's like, oh man, Chris went Calvinist. No, 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 no. We have free will. God allows us to have the call. He predestines us with the capability to answer that call. But then he steps back and allows you to make the decision. He's not a cult leader. 
This is going to be a painful season for some of us. Some of us, this last season, it was a painful season for you. But some of you are on the other side of the pain of that change, and you're reaping the blessings. And some of you are in the midst of the storm, and some of you haven't even got your storm yet. But it's coming. If you want to press into God and you want to walk in your calling, it's coming. Battling addictions, broken marriages, financial turmoil, the crisis of belief. Whatever you're going through, he wants you to eradicate it, to defeat it. And he wants to fill you with the power to go further. And I believe that. And I'm going to move heaven and hell to help you. But there's a pain that comes with change. Because ultimately, you can't put a new heart inside your body. You can't put a new spirit inside your body. Only the Lord can. But you have to make yourself available. You know, it's beautiful to think and listen to the promises of God. But if you read the promises of God throughout the prophets and the Old Testament and the apostles, and you believe they have no power for your life right now, you're only missing all of it. You're missing the beauty of what God can do in your life. Jeremiah 24, 7, I will give them a new heart to know me. Like, well, I don't need a new heart to know him. I know him. No, you don't. No, you don't. Every day of your life, you're going to want to know him more. Every day I'm married. How do you think my wife would feel if I'm like, hey, man, I've been married 19 years. I know my wife. Don't need to try anything. Don't need to get in closer. Don't need to date him. The marriage motif, the language of, of husband and wife and the intimacy of that is all over the scripture when talking about Yeshua and his bride. It's all over. We're like, yeah, it's a marriage. It's a marriage. Meanwhile, inside most messianic congregations and most other denominations, divorce is at an all-time high. And we wonder why people are walking away from the faith. It's because divorce is it's, it's okay. We've eradicated the power of God to change. That's why he says you're supposed to confess your sins. Not so that I can write a blog post but so that you can be set free. So that power of demonic impression on your life, whether you're possessed by it or you're wrestling with it or whatever it is you're doing, so that you can take it back and say, not today. Not anymore. You won't have my wife. You won't have my life. You won't have my children. You won't have my church. I'm not putting up with it anymore. I'm calling on God and the heavenly host of angels' armies. See, a lot of times we're just like, oh, it's Toldot this week. Let's read through the portion. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But if you're looking at what was without trying to figure out what God's trying to do with you now, then you're a student in a class where you're not a son to God. You're not an apprentice to the master. You're not looking at how he can take things that have happened and he can change your life now. I will give them a new heart to know me, for I am the Lord, 
and they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole heart. Next week, talk a little bit about A lot of times we talk about being called out. We're in a wilderness. We're waiting for the second exodus to come so that we can, we can go back to the land and we can be in the new Jerusalem. But we miss a step. You see, Moses ran away from Egypt. He had a crisis of belief. He was afraid. He killed a man. Didn't know what was going to happen. On top of that, he's like, wait a second, I'm a Hebrew, so I'm really a slave, but I'm king in here, and you got the same motif with Joseph and all these things. He ran away to the wilderness, and it was in the wilderness God called him. Okay, we're in the wilderness now. He didn't call them to go back into the wilderness. First, he called them to go back to Egypt. You have to come out, hear from God, be transformed, and then you got to go back to the person you were who's sitting in a pew, who's sitting at the, at, at the bar, who's sitting in the doctor's office. You have to go back for them because somebody came for you. Whoever it was who came for you, where would you be if they would have said, the pain of change is too much. I'm going to stay here and be righteous. Where would you be? That one person, and I'm sure some of you can think right now, you can see their face, you know who they are. Maybe it was your mom who prayed for you. Maybe it was a friend who came. Maybe it was just the Holy Spirit who came and met you in your secret place. But somebody came for you, whether it was God or God said something, somebody else. And we want to say we want to be in the wilderness and we want to be different. Yeah, you got to go back. You got to go back in your calling because God called Moses to go back. And we got to go back to fight to see this community change. So if we're in our wilderness right now, get ready because we're going back to wherever we were. Because there's people there that God wants to deliver and bring through the sea and meet with that Sinai and say, you will be my people and I will be your God. Ezekiel 36, 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That doesn't sound like that's going to be easy. And honestly, it sounds painful. I don't know. If that's exactly what I'm going through right now, it's painful. I'd rather have my wisdom teeth out. I would. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. Romans 2, 29. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. This is, all, this is all tracking right in line with what Brent's been teaching. The revelation of Jesus Christ to John was to teach you to find your roar, to teach you to not become a victim of this life, but to empower you to transform this life. You 
We're given a calling and a power that nobody else has. There is nobody else like you. There is not another Brent Avery. There is not another Sarah Wallace. Only you were given that calling for that purpose. It wasn't a conference call, guys. In my secret place with God, asking him to transform my heart, he wasn't like, hey, hold on a second. Let me get Ian on the phone so I can establish, and Ian can make sure you understand this is exactly what you're supposed to do. No, no, no. This is a secret place, intimacy of God inside your heart. And maybe you allow your spouse to be a part of that. A lot of times he does. But sometimes God's working on you while he's also working on your spouse. How many of those times have you been in a situation where you're like, I feel like God is telling me to do this. And when you go divulge that and you feel like you have a release and you understand and you talk to your spouse, your spouse is like, exactly that's what the Lord's been telling me. And most of the time, my wife is telling me that I'm supposed to do something and I just don't want to do it. True. Because the pain of change. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. Actually told myself I was going to use this, this really nice Bible of mine today. And I'm almost out of my scripture references today. So I'm actually going to read it from a Bible, not my iPad. I know. I told you the pain of change is real. Ezekiel eleven nineteen, And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. And I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. That they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people. And I will be their God. And this rings so true for our community today. See, a lot of times God tells us like, hey, there's something good. And then he reminds us, but if you don't, again, not a cult leader. Should scare the daylights out of us. Fortunately, a lot of times it doesn't. But as for those whose heart goes after their detestable things, and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord. I believe God's word is true. The pain of staying the same as a community and as individuals is greater than the pain you will experience in eradicating things from your life and opening your heart to the Lord. I believe that's what the next steps are for the next year, is that we need to eradicate the things in our walk, in our lives, in our minds, in our relationships that are not Christ-centered, that bring about no good fruit. Maybe that means that you have to eradicate people from your life. Maybe that means you need a new job. Maybe that means you need to test the faith you have in the provision of God. Maybe that means you need to have the conversation with your spouse you've been hiding. Maybe that means that 
You have to stop arguing over whether you're supposed to give 10% tithe to a church because it was just for the Levites. And you need to sow into where you believe God is moving. And you need to work in reckless abandon that the resources you have aren't your resources. They're God's. And that's not even just relegated to financial. We talked about this before. And we'll talk about this a little bit more next week. Ephesians 2 tells you you have resources for the kingdom of God. And don't get me wrong. Money does, you do need money in order to move forward the kingdom of God. But you also need people who have the gift of healing. And you need people who have the gift of compassion. And you need people who have the gift of operating in Jesus in the marketplace. Oh, let's all start our own businesses and let's all go off grid and let's do... For what? For what? Go into the nations. Go into Babylon. Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't say go into the Messianic congregation and the Baptist congregation and the Pentecostal congregation and argue over theology and philosophy. It says go into the nations and transform lives. You can't transform lives if you're not willing to transform your own. I'm one arrogant person. I have struggled with it my entire life. And you're right, it's only been 25 years. I have great skin. <laughs> Come on, that's a joke, people. I got more joke, laughs out of that joke than the last time I was here. Literally, I could hear the air conditioning move in the room with the last joke I gave. I'm make, see, I'm growing. <laughs> One person thought I was funny, or they just thought it was super awkward. It's probably awkward. I must confess my sin so that you can hold me accountable to the pain of change in my own life. We must confess our sins so that we can be transformed. There's nothing any person in this room could tell me that would shock me. Because most of it all I did myself. I'm the chief of sinners. But I am gutting everything I can possibly find in my heart and actively running after God to be completely and radically changed. And I'm no longer scared. And right now, I'm actually kind of numb to the pain. So maybe I got some laughing gas for this season. Praise God. I'll leave you with this, guys. I believe this church needs to teach people how to love God more, how to love others more. And how to serve our community and our city better. There's a reason why each and every one of you chose to come here. We're not the only church. 
we're not the only Sabbath church. You can go online and find the opinions of all kinds of men. Not a lot of women, because we, you know, have problems. But in this church, every person, male and female, young and old, was given a talent by God. And in the next season, I pray that each and every one of you is empowered and we start to figure out what it looks like to walk in a community that you can walk in the power of the gift you have. Because only then are we going to see the lives of this city changed. It is too much to do for one person or one family or three families. I'd love to see HFFs all over the country places where sabbath keepers can come and it's not a midrash and it's not a fight it's where jesus and jesus alone matters and guess what he is the giver of the law so it all comes together let's stop trying to put oh the the council put in that page between the old and new testament now we're doing the same thing pain of change is real and you can fix it because god gave you the talent He gave you the talent. Guys, I repent that I modeled this church after the council of individuals who had a playbook by which they felt this church should operate. That's on me. I'm not modeling a church anymore based upon what one man should say. I'm modeling a church off what the Holy Spirit says we must do in order to walk in the power so that we can see the manifestation of the power. That's not my power. It's not my wife's power. It's not Brent's power. It's not Lauren's power. It's not anybody's power. It's the power of God. And when the power of God shows up, we better get out of the way and fall on our face and say, what do you want me to do, God? I'm here. And I believe it's coming. And Ian, I'm not Pentecostal, bro. Like, pain is temporary. Pain is a necessity. But the pain of change will produce new growth. The pain of change is a necessity for us to be transformed into exactly what God has called us to be. And he's called us to walk, therefore, in a manner worthy of your calling, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I am so happy to be back with you guys.